this morning, we are going to prepare ourselves for the celebration of the Lord's Supper by focusing on a number of verses from Psalm 75. To give that context, we will read all of Psalm 75 together. Psalm 75, to the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a psalm of Asaph, a song. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is, is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants... It is I who keep steady its pillars. I say to the boastful, do not boast, and to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck. For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. And this morning we will focus in particular on verses 4 through eight. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever watched goats being dehorned? The process is called thermal cautery disbudding. It's not pleasant to watch. The best time to do it is a few days after birth. And the way that it works is to immobilize the goat kid and then take a hot iron, which looks like a soldering gun, and you apply it to the horn buds for a few seconds until these are destroyed. And then you put on antiseptic. Now, it's obviously a very unpleasant experience for the goat, kid, so why do people do it? Because little goat kids turn into big goats over time, and if you don't disbud them, then the big goats have big horns, and big horns are very dangerous. 
They can harm other animals. They can harm people. One person on YouTube wrote, Back in 2019, I took in a goat with horns, and I had my back turned on him. He came up behind me and horned me through the back of my arm. I almost bled to death. Thank God my neighbor heard me screaming and used his belt to cut my blood supply off. The helicopter picked me up and I had a four-hour surgery. It's serious. Get rid of these horns. Now, in the Old Testament, horns were a sign of strength. But that strength is always strength relative to the people around you. It works that way with animals as well, doesn't it? Many of you own chooks, as you call them here. You put any number of chooks together and they develop a pecking order. And they figure out who's the boss. But that, that pecking order is useless when a fox comes into the hen house. Then it doesn't matter which chicken ranked the highest because in the end they, they all get killed anyway. And you see that same principle of uh, relativity, shall we say, at work among people. Relative to each other, it is true. Some people are more powerful than others. And they can make a big difference in the world around them. Imagine a, a politician, for example, who, who makes a decision that can shape the economy of an entire nation. Imagine a celebrity with tens of millions of followers who puts out a statement on social media, and all sorts of people line themselves up behind that. There are some really powerful people out there. And even on a smaller level, imagine the power of, for example, the, the head of human resources in a large corporation or even the boss of a, of a company with five employees. That boss still has more power than the employees do. A teacher has more power than a student does, but in the big picture, all of that power is relative. All of these people will eventually face God as their judge, and on judgment day, none of their power will matter in the least. It will make no difference because God is the ultimate judge. God's judgment is not limited in any way. It is worldwide. In fact, He holds the earth together. In verse 3, he says, When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. In other words, this world with all those people who are so powerful doesn't exist on its own. It is being held together by God even during these world-shaking events which are a prelude to the final judgment, events even such as those taking place in, in Israel right now. God is holding it all together, this world with all of its people, holding it all together from moment to moment, biding his time. And he has already set the final day of judgment. In verse 2 he says, at the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. To judge with equity means that he will judge with absolute integrity, not taking people's social positions into account whatsoever. He makes no mistakes. There is no court of appeal with him. What is that final day of judgment going to be like? It will be 
catastrophic. In the Bible, God's judgment is often portrayed as a cup of wrath. Psalm 75 verse 8 picks up on that familiar imagery as well. It says, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. All the wicked will drink it. Now you might think to yourself, that's fine. I'm not wicked. I'll be okay. And again, that may very well be true relative to the people around you. If you compare yourself with others, you can always find someone that you're better than that person. But how do we measure up when we compare ourselves to God? His standard of righteousness is absolute perfection, not just in your deeds, not even just in your words, but in your very thoughts, your innermost heart, your motivations, what drives it all. And his standard is absolute perfection. Relative to that standard, we don't even come close. None of us do. And remember, Romans 3 verse 23 says, All have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. And remember, God's judgment is in the end the only one that matters. We've all fallen short by nature. We all stand condemned before him. How then can we avoid this cup, this cup of his wrath? In Acts 17, verse 30 to 31, the Apostle Paul addresses the same question, this question of, of what do you do? And he says, the times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. See, he says, God has set this day, and he has appointed Christ as judge and has guaranteed it by raising him from the dead. That judge is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus was sent to earth as a substitute for sinners. He was perfectly humble. He was completely blameless. He never sinned. He lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we should have died. He drank the cup of God's wrath completely. And when we belong to Him, when we put our trust in Him, we are counted with Him. In Galatians 3 verse 26 it says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. And that's what we celebrate at this table. At this table we learn to Deal with each other differently. We don't need to butt and shove our way to the front. We belong already, and we all belong equally. That's why we're coming to the Lord's Supper table this morning, because this is where God's children belong. Around His table, in communion with Him. This is where we all belong, because we need God's forgiveness. We all need God's forgiveness. We all need God's grace we all need God's righteousness. The Lord's Supper is the great leveler. 
the great leveler between us all. When we drink the cup, we tell ourselves, Christ had to drink the cup of God's wrath for me. And when you really take that cup, when you really understand what that means, your horns are cut down to size, so to speak. The problem is we're meant to take that message back into our daily lives again, back into that life of power struggles, comparing yourself with others. And that's not always easy. And one of the interesting things about disbutting goats is that soon they start butting heads again. They're not even completely healed yet, and they already start to do that. They already begin to bump heads. You can root out their horns, but you can never change their character. The instinct to push and to shove is still there, and the same is true for us. So this sacrament in and of itself is not going to change our character. For that, we need ongoing renewal. And that's what God promises to us in the Lord's Supper as well. Lord's Day 32 of the Catechism says that Christ, having redeemed us by His blood, also renews us by His Spirit to be His image so that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for His benefits and He may be praised by us. That is also promised to us in the Lord's Supper, that renewal, the ability to take what we know, to take it back into our day-to-day life, and to experience God's continued work of transformation in us. Christ did not only die to take away our sins in the past, He also promises us renewal in the present. That is represented for us in that bread and wine just as much. And that element of judgment that is in, these, in this sacrament also points us to the future when He will complete His work of redemption. The Lord's Supper then is a true celebration. We celebrate God's great works of deliverance culminating in the act of deliverance on Calvary when Christ drank the cup down to its very dregs. We celebrate the work of sanctification that is happening in our lives at this very moment. And we celebrate the great work that is to come when He will shake the foundations of the world, when He will judge it, when He will purify it all with fire, and when He will renew all things. So, as the form says, let us rejoice and give Him the glory, for the marriage feast of the Lamb is coming. Amen.